Well, good morning, church. Every household, I think, has one thing that if you stay in that household long enough, you're going to learn how to do that one thing. And there's probably a couple of them in my household, but one of them is making guacamole. And that might sound strange, but in some circles, my wife, Tia, is actually known as Tia Guacamole. Because, I mean, not compared to Jesus, but her guacamole has changed some people's lives, all right? I mean, it's like, is that good? And so one of my elementary age daughters was making guacamole because you hang around my house, it's going to be something you end up doing because we eat it like crazy. And as she's finishing up making it, my wife walks by and she looks at the, av- the pieces of avocado and she's like, whoa, 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 hold up. And she grabs the, the exocarp of the avocado. It's called an exocarp, the skin. I looked up skin because I felt like saying she grabbed the skin of the avocado and she was like, there's too much flesh in there. We need to scrape out all of the flesh from the skin of the avocado. That sounded morbid. So the actual term, she grabbed the exocarp of the the avocado and she's like, we have to get all of this mesocarp out all the way to the endocarp. Like all of the flesh, all of the, the pieces of avocado, get it all out. Because we don't waste nothing because we're cheap and because we love guacamole. And so get it all, right? And it's easy enough to to look at something like an avocado and be like, did I I get it all? That's easy enough. It's hard to look at the end of your day and be like, did I do enough? Did I get done the things that I need to do? And I know that so many people, when their head hits the pillow, it's like there's so much stress and worry and anxiety of like, did I do what I needed to do today? And time... Man, it just keeps going, and it feels like, what have I done with this year, with the last five years? Like, is my life going in the direction that it should? And there's this feeling of, it's all out of my control. But I want to tell you, there are some things that God has given you stewardship over that you have a responsibility and an accountability to look at your time and to manage it in what Scripture says is a wise way. And the sermon today is called Wind the Clock, because I I want you to enter into this message with an understanding that that you need to kind of take some responsibility from make the seconds tick through the minutes. You have to determine where you're going to steward the minutes of your day to do what's most important. And this is what I found. When we do what is most important first, the other things in the day line up. When I seek the kingdom of God first, everything else gets added. And when I get to the end of my day, knowing that I have done the most important things first, there is more peace in my heart and more peace in my head. But there's a carefulness and there's a wisdom that we need to apply to looking at our day to get to that point where we can feel that peace. And the passage we're going to study together today comes from the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesian church in chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. We'll, of course, project the words onto the screen as I read it. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church there, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, as we get into this passage, I want to draw your attention to where it says, be careful how you live. Be careful. And this is not about tiptoeing around something that's dangerous, but this is applying care and consideration and intentionality to the way that you're living your life because we know it's easy to just get sucked into the stream of information, to to just spend an evening just going through the flow of what is on social media, what is on the news, what is flowing through all of these channels, and then all of a sudden your time is just gone. And we are instructed in Scripture to be careful about how we live. And as we start to look at the way that we use our time, I want to make sure that we address, because I think you need to be careful about your present, but you also need to be careful about your past and your future. Like, you need to give some consideration to it, because I believe some of the struggle that the church is in, and the reason we're not doing what we should do in the present, is because we do not have a healthy relationship with time. Our past, if it's still haunting you, if the things that you have given to God and you've asked forgiveness for and you're still constrained by guilt, you have an unhealthy relationship with your past. If the wounds that have happened to you in the past are still prohibiting you from entering into healthy relationships with other people, you have an unhealthy relationship with the past And I want to encourage you that that is something that you need to deal with the present so that you can do the things that you're called to do in the future. If your past is hindering your present, then seek healing, seek counseling, seek mentorship, seek after God in scripture and what he says about forgiveness and healing and wholeness because we have to get our relationship with the past right before we can move into the future that he has for us. Be careful how you live, not like fools, but like those who are wise. That's an encouragement. If you come into church and you say, Paul, I am not wise, just pretend just act like it for like you might know what a wise person would do have the wisdom to just do what they would do for a little bit and then it's kind of contagious it'll wear off on you after a while you may not be able to recite all of the teachings of scripture but if you can grab onto a few of them in your head and your heart for a few days and apply them time after time if you want a good good starting point just start with Ephesians 429, don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for the building up of others according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. If you just have one passage to memorize, start there. Because Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you want to get your heart right, get your mouth right. And so wisdom, it doesn't have to be all yours right at the beginning. It just has to be something that you start shooting at of saying, I need to live like the wise. I need to do some of the things that the wise are doing because that reflects your understanding of reality. Beginning to change your life, beginning to honor God in the way that you live right now, dealing with the past in a way that honors God, it sets you up for the future that he has planned for you. Because this is the truth that I'm going to put up on the screen. God has a plan and a purpose for your future. And this statement is so basic, but there are so many people who struggle with the reality that God actually wants to do something in and through your life. The same spirit that that rose Christ from the grave, it's at work in his people in his church. And it does not lack power. It does not lack ability. And so, of course, God wants to be at work in your life. 
And when you deal with your past and you heal from what's happened, it enables you to look at the future and say, God has something in store for me that's better than what has been behind me. God is gonna draw me closer to himself that even if I walk through difficult days, it's still gonna be better than what was behind me because I will have his closeness with me through each of these next chapters. And if God can heal what's behind me, he can do incredible things that are ahead of me. And so we need to first get this healthy relationship of looking at the past, the things that happened, they were real, they they were meaningful, some of them hurt us, but God can heal us from those things and he can enable us to walk in the way that scripture calls us because he's moving us towards something in the future that is more important. And we need to begin to speak about the things that are in our present in a future tense the way that God does. Like, like for example, in Joshua 6-2, when, when God was delivering a message through an angel to Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, before they entered into the battle with Jericho, he spoke about the battle that was to come this way. He says, don't you see that I have already delivered Jericho into your hands? Like God speaks about what he is about to do, like what's happening in the present. He speaks with this future tense, like, like it's already happened. Like it hasn't happened yet, but, it, but it's already happened. I've delivered them into your hands. When God says he's gonna do something, your mind should have the faith of saying, if God says he's gonna work this out in the life of his people, I can believe that it's already happened if it hasn't happened yet. Like if I've been trapped in addiction, but I understand God is calling me out of that, I can go ahead and start talking about the fact that God has freed me from that. God has moved me out of that. I'm not staying here anymore. Because he's prepared good works for me to do since the beginning, since the foundation of the world is what Ephesians 2.10 teaches us. That, that before the world was established, God had good works that he wanted you to do is what the book of Ephesians teaches us. And so if you feel like, man, my life hasn't been making a difference, you need to begin to see the future in the right way that God has said, what's ahead of you in your future is accomplishing fruitful work for the kingdom of God. That what you're going to do, it is going to be effective. It is going to bear fruit. It is going to make a difference. It is going to help your family grow and change and mature and get to the point that God has called you to be. And having the faith to look at your future and say, the things that God says he's going to do, I am going to understand them as done and walk it out and walk towards them. Because I have the faith to see that it's happening before it has even happened yet. And this isn't about the power of positive thinking. This is about the understanding of the power and the faithfulness of God. Just because we think something doesn't mean that it's true, but God's promises always come true. But there's a reality that we need to get that thinking part right because everything that happens, it really happens twice. It first happens in your mind and then it happens as you play it out. That, that if, you, if you see, you know, when you met your spouse, there was a moment where you looked at them and you said, I need to lock them up with me forever. Like they need to be mine. And that thought happens before someone ever gets down on a knee and proposes. In the areas of our faith, like anytime that anyone's ever experienced healing through prayer, it was always that thought first of, you know what? God doesn't want them in that. God wants to see them healed. And so I'm gonna ask them if I can pray for them. It always starts as a thought. As we begin to move out of a sin that has tangled you up for a time, there's a thought, God does not want me in this. And then you walk it out in faith and find God's strength and his faithfulness to move out of that. But it always starts as a thought and it moves into an action. 
And so when we begin to look at our future and say, you know what, where God wants me to be is going to be here. When we understand our future through the lens of Scripture and the teaching of the apostles and what God would want for us, it changes our direction. And so our thinking about the future, it has to get, get in line with the way that God would want us to think about it. God, from the very beginning, he, 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 from before our time, he's been pursuing us before now, he's pursuing us now, and he's guiding us for the future. And we need to move into that area of saying, I know, I know that God will be faithful. I know that he'll do all that he said to do. And so we gotta get that right relationship with time. And then the second thing is we need, we need to bring our minutes in line with our beliefs. We need to bring the minutes that God has given us in line with our beliefs. As we're learning to be careful how we live, not like the fools, but like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. And I say we need to bring them in line with our belief because I know that we already have beliefs that would set us on the right path if we would actually apply those beliefs to the minutes that we're given. It's like, you know, we're theologically trained beyond our current level of obedience on this issue. We know the things that we're doing, but we're just not really putting them into line. And there's two different words for time in Scripture. As we kind of look at time today, and we're talking about wind the clock, uh, and the first one we're going to talk about is chronos, where we get the word chronology. The fact that there's an order and that there's a sequence to things, and Scripture, scripture talks about this. And, and we experience this reality that it's like if we, if we don't order things, like if we don't order our calendar, our calendar will just push us around and order our day. Like there's a sequence as we seek to, to, to set up our week that we need to follow. One of the things that you already know that is going to benefit you if you apply it to the minutes of your week is that you should Sabbath. You should have a day of rest. That God set the example for us from the very beginning of creation that there should be a day where we just rest from work. And, you know, that not the ten suggestions, but the ten commandments. Like, you are told this is what you should do. And to, you know, quickly summarize them, no other gods before me, no, no idols, don't use the Lord's name in vain, Sabbath, honor your father and mother, don't murder, adul- no adultery, no stealing, no lying, don't covet. But out of those incredibly important instructions, like no murdering other people, no taking at anyone else's spouse, like those are very critical things to give a community as far as instruction, but you can probably guess which one is actually the longest commandment. Sabbath. Rest. One day of rest. And as I say that, some of you guys might say, well, Paul, you just don't understand how important I am and the things that I do. Like, I keep the earth at, at, at its proper tilt on its axis of 23.5 degrees, and if I stop, the earth will tumble and spin through space. I hold the moon at 238,900 miles away from the earth, and if I let it go, the tides will cease to occur, the, there will be a huge marine die-off, and life on earth will cease to exist if I stop for one day per week. I am so important. If you were half as important as you think, you would need to rest to be at your best. God has designed you specifically in a way that we need times of rest. And as a parent, you should be modeling that to your kids. I like what Kerry Newhoff said about the pace of life that we've been, been living at. He said, a vacation will not fix your unhealthy pattern of living. We, we move at this pace and we're like, oh, I'll rest on vacation. You know, that, that those 10 days that I get every year, that'll be enough to fix me and heal me and make me feel better. 
That's not God's design for you. So just even applying some of the simple truths of saying, okay, I need, I need to Sabbath and I need to rest. There should be one day where I just relax and I am with my family and I am with my Lord and I'm gonna establish these boundaries that help protect my life and my spiritual life. You know, one of the other boundaries, one of the other markers that we should set up of saying, okay, there's one day where, where it's rest. We should know when during the week and when during the, the day that we're gonna care for our spirit. When we're gonna care for our body like, like, we should know that because there's, there's this lingering thing of like, oh, I really should spend some time with God, but I, it needs to be this really important block of time, and I'll find that important block of time later, and we never find that important block of time. We go through the whole day. Now, listen to me, church. If you can't get that 30 minutes, that 15 minutes, that 10 minutes set aside, then just open the app on your Bible and read the verse of the day, but start somewhere because this is what I've seen. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, you understand your need for him even greater and it gives you the strength and the courage of mind to dive into more time with him. But as you continue to abstain because you feel like, I just can't give him the proper amount of time so I just won't do anything, that does not serve you at all. And so start somewhere. Be wise. Don't be foolish. Don't say, ah, I don't have any time for the Lord, but I always have time to keep up on my Fox News, my CNN News, my whoever news, but I will always know what is on their front page. That is foolish. Know what is foundational to your day and start there. That might mean making a decision like when I'm driving somewhere, I haven't had time to pray yet, so the radio is going off and I'm just gonna talk to my father as I drive. It's a wise decision. Where are the places, where are the opportunities that I can make sure that I am spending time with him? I'm gonna tell you, taking care of your body is incredibly important as well. All of you is intertangled together. God has sewn you together, knitted you together, and each part reflects the other. And if we're healthy in spirit, I believe God's going to convict us about the health of our body as well. And so knowing, when am I going to care for my spirit? When am I going to care for my body? When am I going to care for my mind? What are the times where my family will have my undivided attention during this day? It's a strange thing when we, would, we know we would stop and say, okay, what are the most important things in your life? And you list them out, God, family, health. How much time tomorrow are you going to spend caring for those things? None. (laughs) There's a disconnect there. Let's connect the dots of what we know. Let's be wise in the way that we live. Because there's some things that we're doing that just are not working. And we need to get rid of the things that are not working for us. Um, Matthew 21, verses 18 through 21, specifically towards like 20 and 21, is a verse that everybody knows. It's that famous verse where Jesus says, if you just believe a little bit, just a small amount, and you pray, a mountain will be thrown into the sea. And we know that passage, but right before that, at verse 18, it actually is this verse that's very, it's, it's a very atypical verse. Like, it's not the norm. Because the things that Jesus did were very life-giving and very encouraging, but what, what it says in verse 18, Jesus actually was hungry and he walked over to a fig tree. And he got to the fig tree and there was no fruit on it. And so he actually cursed the fig tree and it withered up right there. And he was teaching us 
something. There's a picture in that. And there's also echoes of John 15, of the vine and the branches in that. That if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The, the branches that bear no fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire. There's echoes of that in what Jesus was doing when he cursed the barren fig tree. Jesus desired for the tree to produce fruit the same way that he would desire an individual or a church to produce fruit. And he said, if it's not producing fruit, it will wither up, dry out, because it's taking up space and resources that it's not using. There are things in your life that you need to look at and you say, this bears no fruit in my life. You can't say that about your husband or your wife. I'm sorry, you can't apply it there. About you, your decisions, your habits, your behaviors. The where you invest your time. There's things that you're investing your time and your heart into that do not bear fruit. You need to remove that from your life and invest your energy in a place that does bear fruit, that does do what you're called to do because we are accountable to God for the way that we live. And there's a big difference between proximity to Jesus and connection to Jesus. There's a big difference between proximity to Jesus and connection to Jesus. There's a lot of people who walked around close to him. But he continued to point out through the illustration of the vine and the branches, connected to me. He talks about that, that day of final judgment. He said, there will be many people who said, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many miracles in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. You never had connection to me. There's many people who are very close in proximity to the church, maybe even very busy at its functions, but they have no connection to Jesus. And I want to call up your attention. Where is your heart in, to the things of God? Where is your heart in connection to your Savior? Do you feel that draw to spend time with him on a daily basis to hear his voice and feel his leading and study the scriptures? Because we're called to be in connection with him, not just be in some sort of close proximity to a church. And so we want to be wise in how we use our time. We want to be fruitful in how we use our time. And the third thing is we want to bring our moments in line with our calling. And so we talk about our minutes, the way that we plan the minutes of our day. We want to look and we want to order our schedule based on our priorities of saying these things have to be in the minutes somewhere. And the next thing is moments. Because there's the, there's the chronos time that we see scripture use that, ver that, that, that word, but there's another type of time that scripture talks about of kairos, which is actually the type of time that's listed in verse 16. It says opportunities in the NIV and the NLT and the New American Standard Bible, which is very, very literal. It uses the word time, but it, that's, that's the meaning of kairos. It's the, 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 the opportune time, like that moment where there's an opportunity to do something. And we have to manage the opportunities that we have to do something. And this is very interesting to me because the Apostle Paul is writing to the Ephesian church in this, and he says, make the most of your time. Be wise about it. Make the most of your opportunities. Grab a hold of them. And this was a time before social media. This was a time before texting, before email, before cell phones, before night and weekend minutes, before house phones, landlines, pay phones, telegrams, party lines, like none of that communication was happening yet. There was no telegram going out, less interruptions to the day. But the Apostle Paul was writing the church and he says, I'm worried about you guys that you're wasting your opportunities. 
This is the generation, like the older generation had seen Jesus with their eyes. It's a completely different lifestyle and pace of life. But the Apostle Paul was still worried, you're wasting and missing your opportunities. I think he would freak out if he walked through our culture today and how we use our time. And so how much more alarmed should we be? How much more careful should we be about the way that we use our time? And that's not to say that you can't relax and have fun. Those things are good and part of life. I believe they're blessed by God, but they can't take over the important callings of our life. Because we have these moments that we have to grab a hold of. My, it's like a game that I play with my kids that I will often take any time where they say a sentence that is a song, especially a song from the 90s, and if they say it, I will immediately like put it on the car radio. Like One of my kids is like, I want to go home, and I'm like, okay, Michael Buble, home. Like It's playing, and they're like, oh, all right, Dad, w- would you just stop? And I'm like, collaborate and listen, because Ice is back with a brand new invention. Like, I mean, it, it's just a thing that we do, and they said something about a belly of a whale, and I pulled out an old Newsboy song that probably most of you guys don't know and put that on the radio, and they're like, oh, Dad, but it, it was funny, you know, that, that moment happened and then it started a conversation where they asked something about Jonah and it got into the conversation about the prophet Jonah. And we're just riding around in the car and they're like asking questions about when God puts a calling on your life. I'm like, well, it's good to follow it, otherwise you'll get vomited by a whale. Like, I mean, <laughs> if God puts something on your life that you should do, there's a reason for it and there's a purpose for it. But one of the coolest things is there's a fruitfulness of actually seeing it through. And you get to see God do something that he called you to do. And so when God puts a calling on it, it's like, it was this, just this moment. Those moments come and there's a decision that we're going to make, whether it's with a coworker or a family member, where it's like, we see the opportunity for a conversation in a moment about God. And, and this is what the apostle's talking about. Those moments, those kairos time, the opportunity, like you have to grab a hold of it. The author of Win the Day, Mark Batterson, he was recalling in the book a story with his grandfather. His grandfather was a good man, and in very grandfather fashion, his grandfather had a collection of fossils. Fossils are kind of tough to replace. And as a five-year-old, he knew that there was one rule. Don't touch the fossils. Pretty simple to understand, but as a five-year-old, we all know how that would be hard to live out. And so one day he found his hand just magnetized towards one of his grandfather's fossils. And sure enough, the five-year-old fingers didn't do a very good job of holding on to it, and it crashed onto the floor and cracked. And as soon as the crash came from the room that the fossils are kept, of course, Grandpa came running in, and as a five-year-old would, he just felt his life ending in that moment. And he recalls it like this. He says, my grandfather came in and didn't even really look at the fossil. He just looked at me and he just picked me up and hugged me. As if to say, you are so much more important to me than anything that I own. And he said, that was one of those opportune times that my grandfather reasonably could have just been upset about his possession." but he grabbed an opportunity to tell me about his love. We have to make the most out of those opportune times that we can. So many people in our world today are are possessed by their possessions. I want to encourage you, church, 
Don't let something that you own be a reason to break relationship with someone that you love. We want to make the most of these times that we're given because these opportunities, they are fleeting. And it's really interesting in the passage, it talks about, you know, be wise, grab a hold of your opportunities. And then into verse 18, like it almost feels a little bit like he changed directions, but he, he is staying on topic here. In verse 18, it says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm gonna tell you, we need more people in the world who are full of the Holy Spirit and less people in the world who are full of it. Like, I mean, we need, there's a choice that's made there. Like, I will, by the way that I live my life, fill myself up with something. And I will choose if it's the Holy Spirit. I will choose if it's alcohol. I will choose if it's sports. I will choose if it's just general education. I will choose what consumes my life and what is the most important thing in my life. And alcohol is a really good illustration next to the Holy Spirit because it's like choice by, by choice, you will give greater and greater control to one or the other over your life. You know, five drinks in, somebody's like, hey, y'all, watch this. And you understand they're not making the decisions anymore. Because 45-year-old them knows they can't do a backflip off the table. But five drinks in them thinks they might be able to. And then the, the Apostle Paul lifts, off, lifts you know, up singing psalms. You want to know how to fill yourself, how, how, how to know tangibly that the Spirit of God is with you? Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves. Make music to the Lord. Give thanks to God. As you do those things, it reaffirms to you the reality of the Holy Spirit in your life. I believe singing is so powerful in the life of the believer. I believe it's so tremendous for you to just get alone and just sing to God and it reminds you of his presence with you in an incredible way because when you've been around someone who's had a few drinks, you know it. But when you've been around someone who's spent some good time with their Lord, you know it as well. And you know when you've spent that time with him and you go into a difficult situation, you operate with a different grace, a different kindness. Uh, You just see people differently. So church, we need to choose. We're, we're, we're going to just, just fill up because this is a struggling band. You guys can come on out. I'm going to close this thing up. Dwight Moody actually used this illustration, and, and he talked about sin. And, and he said, you know, sin is like air in the cup. I mean, it's all around the cup, and it's all in the cup. And so many people will try to rid themselves of sin inside of them just by thrashing violently. Like maybe I can get the air out of this cup if I just work hard enough. Someone suggested to to Dwight Moody from the the congregation that, well, you could put a vacuum on the top of it and you could suck all the air out of it. And And he said, and the cup would shatter if you did that. That's not how you, you, you would get the air out of the cup, and it's not how the believer gets sin out of their life. It's not by effort and work of the individual, but it's about replacement. The cure for the struggle of sin in your life isn't just more effort in thrashing. The cure for sin in your life is filling with the Holy Spirit because as the water flows into the cup, it displaces the water to the point that it's filled. And this is why there's no arrogance and pride in the one who walks 
holy and humbly with their God because they recognize this isn't my work. This is just the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And drink by drink, we can let alcohol ruin our life or moment by moment, song by song, day by day, minute by minute, this practice of giving God the right spot in our life. We can choose with our time to be filled with his presence and his joy and his peace. But just the same way that you know you would take a clock and wind it up to set the time, you have to set your time for your day. And church, I wanna encourage you, be wise. Look at this day and look at tomorrow and ask yourself the question, when do I give time to God? Because if I wanna have victory over sin in my life, I have to have the Holy Spirit of God at work in my life daily. And as we choose to give him our minutes and our moments, we're gonna experience his faithfulness in our life. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that as long as we stay connected to you, we will be fruitful. And so in that reality, help us to be wise as we start each day giving you the right time. And as you give us these moments where we can speak a word of love and faith to someone else, help us to seize them. Help us to sing songs to you, being thankful for you because of all that you have done, because of what you're doing now, and because what we know you will do in the future. In your son's name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?